playbook. It's a private practice playbook. Playbook. All right, welcome. I feel like it's been a while, and uh, I've actually been a little busy this quarter. So we had a lot of client events going on, and um, able to do those through bigger rooms and social distancing and. It has been really fantastic, you know, just thinking even about our university program that where we train our clients, team members, a lot of virtual events, a lot of live events, but it's interesting. So the great news, I'm actually recording this in December, so um, have a pretty good idea of where people are ending up, and it has been great to find out that the people who are engaged in a process of you know keeping their head down doing the things they need to do uh, didn't completely disconnect during the pandemic or get you know either doing better than they did last year or certainly getting close to that is the year end so the recovery and at least the practice we work with has been really fantastic and exciting so pretty fun stuff. So as I record this, it's uh, interesting. You know, we're going to continue on with breaking down the things. And remember, this is designed for people who either own a practice or are married to someone with a practice or are in a leadership position in that practice. And your desire is to learn how to grow the practice uh, or, you know, make it more patient-centric. And, you know, that requires uh, a strategy. And great news for you is that I've been doing this for well over 25 years. And, you know, it's it's almost crazy to believe that a person could come to me and say, listen, I have a million-dollar practice. I want to turn it into $5 million. I'm like, okay, fine. Here's I could give you a list of what you need to do. Unfortunately, everybody has to make it more complicated. So we're going to take the time to break it down for you. And we had introduced these, what we call the big five, and they're basically – you know, after many years of working with people, these are sort of the five areas that, you know, require attention. And then you, you rotate between these five. And so what we're going to do is we're going to talk about one of them today. And so, and we introduced this concept, I think, on one of the previous podcasts, and, and it was called Human Capital. So I'll go over the five, and then we're going to come back again. And so these are the, after many, many years of helping people, right, these are the areas that basically everything breaks into one of these five areas. It's crazy. And the first one is human capital. And so we'll go through that. Uh, next is marketing, space and equipment, financial mastery slash discipline, really discipline is the word I like best, and then clinical duplication, okay? But today we're going to concentrate on what I consider, and this may end up being a two-part series because, and, and we will go back to this, right? We'll rotate and come back to this. It's called human capital. So when you think about, you know, the, what's going on in 2020 in the pandemic, you know, why I made a conscious decision to not concentrate on new client acquisition and to put all of my attention on communicating with our coaching clients because I had a vision of, you know, trying to finish 2020 strong, set up 2021. And that meant 
uh, essentially getting control of the the mental headspace. So when we talk about human capital, you know, let me let me first talk about what this means. You know, what what it means is when we approach it, like when I approach it with anybody, there's a fundamental belief that human beings, right? So human, so you all of the people who work for you, me, all of the people who work with me, I believe that they have greater capability than they may be displaying, showing the world, and possibly, and actually, usually, believing in themselves. So it's a fundamental belief that human beings have the capability to do better. Now, it's sort of interesting. You know, I think that I would, the one thing you have to understand is um, most people don't actually stop and think about that, right? And, and so that's why the, the self-development section in the, in the bookstore is kind of small, you know? And tucked off in the corner and people, you know, embarrassingly go over there. But here's the fundamental belief, and I, and I want you to think about this. Do you, so, so we run our company, you know, I, I, I have run the largest practice management company for dentists in the world, and we do the most training. And we have clients in every state and in something like 15 different countries. And crazy, and this is what's so cool about this, is that is what we have to do is we have to get the doctor to perform better. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And, and, and it's funny, when the doctor does better, then it, is, it spreads through the team. But do you believe, right? And this is kind of funny. See, I, and, and, and we also test this out. So for instance, if uh, right now um, I'm, let's say someone's in our coaching program and they come into the coaching program and I have, I have, I have made what seems like a complicated problem very simple and then I tell them what to do. They go do it, they come back, and they get a different result. And this just gets repeated over and over. Well, if you imagine, if you encounter a person who believes they can't do better, then you have no future with those, those people. So when you think about coaching people to make them better, I mean, certainly it would be terrible if I believed that every person I encountered was doing the best they possibly could. And, and, and believe it or not, it's crazy that you can actually run into people who will say, I'm doing everything right and I couldn't do it better. You know what they're saying? They're saying they can't get better. They just don't see it that way. So when we talk about this area of human capital, we're talking about taking a person and does the person have the attitude or the belief that they have greater God-given capability than they're currently exercising? So my fundamental belief is that the majority of people in the world, certainly including me and including you, are capable of doing more. And what is required to tap into that capability is participation, openness, coachability, 
So the very first thing when we look at how to help somebody is we have to assess whether you are coachable. Because what has to change, and I'm going to talk about a practice because that's our niche, and you can certainly convert that. So when we, when, when, we, when we talk about a practice, if you're not a practitioner, here's the way a practice usually works. You have a doctor, then you have a team. And it's kind of a small business, and some of them are bigger, certainly. And so many small businesses work just like that. You have a person who runs the business, and they have a team. And so when we approach human capital and the way we're going to approach it today and beginning to talk about this is we start with the most influential person in the business. So if you would take the Scheduling Institute as an example, and I'm the founder and the CEO of the Scheduling Institute, we can't skip me and go to everybody else. I mean, you can do it. It's just only going to work so far. Now, what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about the primary person in the business, and then we'll, we'll keep talking about team members. But here's the truth. Many doctors believe or business people believe that the problem with their business is the team. Well, and unfortunately for them, they'll spend years and years believing that's true. It would be kind of like a person in a bad marriage thinking that the reason they have a bad marriage is because of their spouse. It's most likely because of them. And imagine a stubborn person. Imagine a person who's very set in their ways. See, believe it or not, there are many, many people who don't think they can do better. And so that's the very first thing. So I'll tell you a few things that we've picked up on and that I want to encourage you on. And it's this, that if you have ever been coached, in any coaching relationship. So for instance, if you played middle school basketball, I was actually a middle school basketball coach. I also coached very young kids in soccer who like to pick flowers, okay? I'm, I'm joking, I, I only coached the kids when they were very little. <laughs> and and I, But you, if you've ever coached young kids, you kind of get the concept. And then if you've ever been coached, right? You understand the concept. The concept is that you don't show up to practice and talk about how perfect you are. You go to practice to practice to be better. And you, you, you put yourselves in positions. And again, if it's basketball, you practice certain things. Shoot, 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 right? And whatever the sport might be. And so I have noticed that with a lot of adults, for some reason, when like particularly doctors, right? And it's like, okay, so you become a doctor, you get a practice, great. Um, you need to check yourself. And the first thing you need to check is your ego. And that, those credentials don't mean anything to me. I mean, because there's a lot of work after that, right? And so a lot of people, for instance, are sort of intimidated by doctors. And, and I have actually noticed that medical doctors are worse than some other doctors, right? So I've actually, I've had enough clients in different areas that there are certain types of doctors, I, I think, that are less coachable. And I don't know why, but it's, it's very odd. So if you are married to, and you're a spouse, or you work for somebody, and you have a non-coachable person, I'm really sorry. I feel sorry for you. It's terrible. Um, and, and you have to break that down. In other words, and what you realize is you've got to get them in some type of a relationship where they're being coached. So, and that's what we do. And what happens when you coach somebody who's good is they get better. 
and better and better and better. And when you take the primary person and you coach them and they get better, they, it's crazy. They automatically make the people around them better. But a lot of people don't understand that. So you can try to fix your team, okay? And we can do that. So if you say, well, Jay, I, like for instance, if you called our office and said, hey, I want to buy your, uh, your new patient program, we can come in, we can train your team, I can make you a lot of money doing that, and that's fine. And that'll work to a degree. But what we're really looking for, and what I think is actually the correct way to do it, is that, and again, this is for doctors, so if you're a doctor, that you actually open yourself up to being coached. And again, just understand it. When you're better, they become better. And when you're better, my ability to make them better is even better. So let's talk about this. It's human capital. So what does it mean? So first is the philosophy, and the philosophy is very simple. Every single human being has the capability to do more. So every time I have ever gone and attempted to get better at anything, anything, I have always found that there's a little capacity to do it. And 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 coaching people, in, uh, if it's the front desk or if it's a doctor on how to talk to patients or whatever it is, I have never run into a situation, no matter what I teach people, if it's money, that I can't get someone who wants to do better, better. The only time it doesn't work is when you basically come to the conclusion, and it's ego, that you know everything. And I will tell you that I have run into plenty of doctors who are absolutely convinced they know everything. And I, I will be honest with you, I have zero interest in a relationship with them because they are an absolute pain to work with. It is, I mean, you know, there is no reason to do it. So if you fall in that category, I'm just really sorry for you. And it's gonna be a terrible, terrible, terrible life. It's not gonna be good. You know, you're going to end up having five different spouses, constantly changing team, changing partners, and, it, and it's miserable. And if, and if you have had that stuff happen to you, it's most likely because of this particular reason. So let's talk a little bit about what, what this means. There are two types of people who work at a front desk. Those who exist to simply answer questions and those who schedule appointments. Which do you think is happening in your office? Take the five-star challenge today to find out the truth about your front desk's ability to schedule new patients. Just because you think they've mastered scheduling does not mean they have. Discover the truth today at www.fivestarchallenge.com. So, you know, um, I don't know. Could we put it in the context of losers versus winners? You know, maybe. In other words, um, winners, and again, well, maybe that's not the best context for us to put it in. So, okay, so we put it in coachable, all right? So then let's ask you the question, who's coaching you? And so if the answer is, well, I haven't had a coach since I played middle school basketball, no one's coaching you. So let's go through all of the things. So does LeBron James have coaches? Many, many, many coaches. 
Does Tiger Woods have coaches? Many, many, many coaches. Does Aaron Rodgers have coaches? Many, many, many. Every single person, and in, in, in sports is probably the easiest example, but business too, if you would go back and you learn that if you go to most CEOs, they have coaches, right? I mean, so it is interesting that there's something in adulthood and there's something about doctors and I think that particularly the continuing education track that most doctors end up on, it actually doesn't develop the characteristics that we need to develop. So again, as all I want you to understand is, you know, when you think about human capital, and, you, and remember, you've got a, if you're a doctor and you're listening to this, and you're saying, well, wait a minute, I thought we were going to talk about my team. Yeah, we're going to get to your team. But here's the deal. You've got to take a philosophy that people are coachable. You've got to hire people that are coachable and you've got to coach them. And so what's interesting about a non-coachable person is they usually end up being terrible coaches. And they usually end up being perfectionists who believe that everything should occur in perfection, but they shouldn't have. But, but then when you actually look at the amount of training that occurs, you realize, well, it would be a freaking miracle if it was perfect because you haven't trained these people. And it's because you're not coachable. Therefore, very interestingly, you're not a very good coach. And when I'm talking about a coach, I'm talking about a person who can actually sit down and understand that human beings need to be told what to do, need to be shown what to do, need to practice what to do, need to be given the words of what to do. And particularly when we're talking about patient interactions. I mean, if you look at a typical practice, it starts on the phone. You call the practice. And it is like the patient, the person who answers the phone doesn't want you to come in. I mean, we, we have done so many calls. I mean, I should probably do one right now, but if I, if I would call an office, you would find it's like, I mean, they start asking us questions. Do you have insurance? Do you have this? It's almost like they don't want you to come in. It starts there. And then God forbid you actually get into the office and the number of times that somebody isn't greeted correctly, uh, there's a you know a sign-in sheet and there's no special experience at the front. I mean, it's unbelievable how bad it is. So when you look at the overall state of how doctors' practices process new patients, it is, I mean, I mean, it's probably at an all-time low. And that's why when you know when we come in and we we create an office that, it's patient-centric by training the coachable people. And by the way, having a doctor who says, you know what kind of office I want? I want a, I want a patient-centric office, not an office based around my own needs. Almost all offices you see are based around the needs of the doctor. So your need is to not be on time. Your need is to think you're above reproach. None of that, listen, that is not going to get you very far. And what the patient wants is a patient-friendly experience. It's what you'd want. When you, when you flip roles, that's what you want. So let's go through some of the basics of what is required from an individual to get this. So let's see here. So let's take as an example, if we were to look at um, okay, here's one of my favorites. So when you look at a typical doctor and 
you think about how a doctor could apply. So what you're, what you're trying to evaluate is, am I applying the formula to myself? Okay, and then we can apply it to others. So normally, so when we've studied everything from the first phone call to the first visit, to how you hire people, to how you train people, how ongoing training works, how raises work, the management hierarchy in your office, uh, the science of office managers and the psychology around all of that, the connection between the team and the doctor. I mean, all of this, we've worked on so many different levels of it. And so, statistically, the amount of training that occurs in most doctor's offices in all of these positions, almost all of the training is done before they get there or it's done under the continuing education, which is mostly clinical. So for instance, if you're a doctor and you say, well, Jay, I, you, you don't even know what you're talking about. I'm a great student. I have done 92 hours of continuing education. Here's what I will promise you. I'll promise you that a patient has never walked in your office and said, I would like to know how much continuing education you've done. And I can also tell you that continuing education doesn't and can't teach you some of the things you need to know that would actually make your practice grow. So again, you've got to be clinically sound. I, I'm not trying to say that an office can't be clinically sound, but the major mistake under human capital that most doctors make and most practices make is that they think the only thing you need to teach a human is the clinical skills. And it turns out on the other side of that, that when we study the patient side of it, I mean, I've asked every single doctor I've ever worked with, I said, has a patient ever even asked you to see a copy of your license? They're like, no. Have they ever asked to see the continuing education certificates? that verify that you accomplish the, no, never, no one ever says that. But what the patient does see is exactly what goes on in the office and every patient can see when they encounter that very first person, they can see what the office is all about and they can make a judgment and they do make a judgment. And they can begin to decide is this going to be a pleasant or an unpleasant experience. And so human capital is the process of training individuals in any business to do things the right way so that the customer is incredibly pleased with the experience. Oh, I wish I had this. I got a client sent me something the other day and it was uh, he had recorded a phone call and he said, I want you to listen to this. And I read the email, I got this like two or three days ago, and he said, hey, listen to this, and I thought you'd want to hear this. It was, um, you know, because you're part of it. And so he, um, it was a, a patient calling, and he, he said, I, you know, I was waiting till the end of the day, he's a little nervous about calling him, he didn't know if something was wrong. And, and so she says, I'm, I'll paraphrase it. She says, hey, maybe in another call, I'll play it for you. She says, um, uh, I wanted to, I, I, First of all, she said, I wanted to thank you, and I wanted to share something with you. And he's like, okay. And he's waiting for the bomb to drop. And she goes, no, it's a good call. It's a good call. And she said, you know, and this was a dentist in South Carolina. And she said, I'm a, I'm a State Farm agent. 
I've been a State Farm agent for 27 years. And she said, I called you because I wanted to tell you that when I was in your office the other day, I was really, really blown away. And you know what she kept saying? She kept saying, I know how hard it is. I know how hard it is. And she was fishing for him to tell her the secret of how he got her office, his office to be so good. And she went on in the call to talk about the experience she had and she was naming names. And she said, I gotta be honest, like I, how do you, she was fishing, right? And, and, and she, was, he, she was trying to figure out how did you make your team so good? And she was, it was like the, it's, it, was, it was probably, it embodies everything we work to try to do. But here's the, how it relates to human capital. All of what she said came from her interaction with human beings. All human beings in the office who were coachable, were could, could be trained and would follow directions, and that discipline caused the patient experience to be different. I mean, it takes enormous discipline to put yourself second and to put the patient first. And it was just, a, it was, this call was fantastic because it, and, and she just kept saying, you know, what do you do? What do you do? What'd you do? And what he did is he spent lots of hours working with us to let us train his team. And so the patient experience is typically provided through humans who work in your office. That's why we call it human capital. So when you talk about how to improve a practice first, our formula is always to go to the people first because there's a, you know, it's kind of like a bump or an increase available to you. And we've got to go after that. Now, so, but you say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Um, but I put new chairs in the lobby. Okay, fine. That's something else but it's who's the person working behind the front desk. Then it's what does their face look like? Then it's what do they say? Then it's how do they create an experience, right? And so how you grow a practice, we always start with human capital. And we always start first with the phones, the front desk, and then we work our way back. So you call our office today and say, listen, I wanna get started on something. We're gonna start with your front desk and we're gonna work our way back. And then we really like to get to the doctor. So I got a lot of programs for the doctor, coaching programs for the doctor. Come in, learn how to do things better, make sure you have the vision right. So, okay, well, wait a minute. Well, how come everyone doesn't do this? So let's go through some of the issues we deal with with people. So uh, number one issue is discipline. So it's funny when we say the word discipline and you know, if I would talk to a doctor and I would say you have to have more discipline, they don't say, yes, yes, I want more discipline. No, it's a negative connotation. But here's what discipline is. It's to train, train oneself to do something in a controlled and habitual way. And so a lot of times we say, well, how, how, why is it that we can't just simply get the person at the front desk to do what I want them to do and then, so when you study, well, why is it that people don't have discipline? You find out that it's because of something called feelings. It's called emotions. And it's about their belief, okay? And sometimes it's about irrational beliefs. Or, and so what we find out is that people tend to be more emotional. 
And so, for instance, if you take three things, if you take the facts versus feelings, most people are operating on feelings. And so if I would go to a typical doctor and I would say, well, do you think you're doing everything right? You know what they would say? I'm doing everything right. I've I've even had doctors say, I've done, I'm doing everything right. Nothing works, (laughs) by the way, which is code for you're doing nothing. And and then even again, right, if I would say, well, let me train your person at your desk and I think I can get you great results. And then you say, no, I don't think that's going to work. Okay, that's your feeling. That's all that is. That's your feeling. And you're probably wrong. As a matter of fact, you are wrong. So again, you say, well, how come people, humans can't progress? Well, the reason is they can't progress is that they mostly function out of feelings. So for instance, if you interviewed most doctors, you know what they have? They have a feeling that they have a training program. They have a feeling that they've given their team everything they need. They have a feeling that they have a great team. They have a feeling that their customer, their, the patient experience is great. Now, I'm not interested in your feelings. I'm interested in the truth. And so if we want to get the truth, we're going to send somebody in as a patient. They're going to experience what it's like to be as a patient, and it isn't going to be pretty. If I want to know what it's like when they call, I just have somebody call, figure out what happens. I know where the, what, what the improvement can be. I want to know the facts. I want to know the facts. So, for instance, if you call, go to our website, Scheduling Institute, take the five-star challenge, we'll call your office, and we'll put it in a rating system. We'll send it to you. Those are the facts. And most likely, when you get it, you're going to be pissed off. Your feelings are going to come up, and you're going to actually have a feeling that you can fix it yourself, which you will not be able to do. But see, the challenge we have in helping most people is that they feel like they're doing everything right. They're not. The facts are that you're not. I mean, if we took every position in your office and I stripped out the number of hours that these people are trained on how to do the right thing in the course of the year, then the actual hours are absolutely abysmal. When you take and you take a typical doctor and you say, well, how many hours do you actually train your staff? And by the way, lecturing them is not training them. It's not training. It, it tends, it's almost literally zero. It's the same thing when you hire a new person. You know, you think you have a training program. Most people, under three hours, the new hire is out on the floor to just mix in with the existing team and God spread what they don't know onto the patient. It's horrible. It is absolutely horrible. But every doctor who has a crappy practice or has a crappy experience in their practice feels like they're doing everything right. So what we normally have to do is we have to begin to develop the facts that matter. And so the fact that matters in your practice is what the patient thinks. It doesn't matter what you think. As a matter of fact, what you think is irrelevant. And if you can't take that, tough. Suck it up. What you think is irrelevant because that's your feeling. Unless you have facts to back it up, which most of the time you don't. So I just want to repeat this again. Doctor says, I'm doing everything I can. Nothing's working. Well, first of all, I know that's a doctor with nothing but feelings. So we need the facts to go in front. Then that usually sort of develops some faith in what we're doing. And then we need feelings to move to the back. All right. So let's, let's take a break there. and We'll pick it up in a few days and uh, continue talking about the importance of human capital.